my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Hidden. Trink. Trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink. Trink. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trink. Trink. The greatest trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing today, Adam? Just had a delicious plum over the sink. <laughs> oh, one of the great joys of summer is eating a messy piece of fruit over the sink. Just call me William Carlos Williams. <laughs> I, I got in there and ate those icebox plums. Uh-huh. Delicious. My baby has been taking bites of plums lately, and like we've given him a bunch of different stone fruit lately. And before, when you gave him a food, he would just put the entire amount of that food in his mouth, no matter mm-hmm. how big the mm-hmm. thing was. Until like a couple of times, I got scolded for like putting a piece of chicken in front of him that was like way too big. Well, that's a thing a pediatrician will tell you. It's like you want to keep like the most attractive objects away from a child in an early age like you hear this about screens a lot mm-hmm. but what is a plum or a delicious piece of chicken if not a screen it is the screen of the mouth it is they say yeah yeah so you know got in trouble with the wife here or whatever for giving him too big a piece of something but now he's like he's really into taking bites off of things and he learned it from stone fruit he learned from the best Boy. We got dinosaur plums over here. You ever get into those? I've not tried a dino plum. Does it have like a hood that expands when it feels threatened and it spits black goo in your eye? Well, in order to buy the dino plums, you'd need to exchange a spy can of Barbazol <laughs> for it. Close shave America. Close shave Barbazol. Close shave Barbazol. Yeah, that's how you get a dinosaur plum. And it's not like the super red kind, like the really dark red kind. This one's uh, light red and speckled. When you give them the can, do they yell, Dodson! We got Dodson here! If only. <laughs> I wish that were the case. I wish things were more fun generally uh-huh. in produce, you know? In plum acquisition. I think that's what we're getting at here. <laughs> things are pretty tame in the produce department. Yeah. Yeah. Not tame are things on and around the Cerritos, wouldn't you say? (laughs) What happened to you, man? (laughs) That was a championship pivot. You've been hanging out with the mission log people too much. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. That's that's professional. That's restaurant quality is what that pivot is. It really was. (laughs) Yeah. Did you save room for pivot? Ben? It's, it's no tame beasts at all in the menagerie. How about you just take a look at the pivots here and uh, let me know when I come back <laughs> if you want that or the check. Okay. Well, uh, season four, episode two, I have no bones, yet I must flee. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. The unknown. What a title. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous title. Uh, is it a reference to something? It sort of feels like it is, but I couldn't pick up what they were putting down. I'm too much of a fucking dumb to get the reference. Yeah. This might as well be in Latin to me. <laughs> Sick transit Gloria, my friend. Let's get into it. I 
Hick, Nix, Bex. <laughs> Peruvi sub movie. <laughs> You're so much better at that than I am. Ben, you just do do the smart jokes for me. I can't do them. <laughs> we start on a Romulan sidebird. Oh. Oh, I like that. We catch up with some conniving lower deckers getting ready to betray sub-commander Brex. I mean, they have competing betrayal plots. They're in a betrayal measuring contest. Yeah, and they're in the, they're, you know, the shit duty on board a Romulan ship would be cleaning up if, after the torture mess. Can I just say one of the best bits of visual comedy maybe I've ever seen on this show? <laughs> Are you going to say the wrapping the, the rag around the... <laughs> <laughs> the prong. Yeah, like when you're cleaning a piece of chrome or whatever and you like wrap the rag around and do like the the sawing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. That's a great detail, right? You can tell these folks have been cleaning up in torture rooms for a long, long time. That was really good. You're not supposed to reuse the rag <laughs> from the last torture chamber. <laughs> That's how you get cross-contamination. <laughs> This Riemann torture chamber has entered what is known in the industry as the danger zone, a temperature above which bacteria and other pathogens are more likely to propagate. <laughs> so on the bridge, we finally see Sub-Commander Breck, which is the, the shithead that both of these guys have been conspiring against. And uh, yeah. he seems to see all the knives come for his back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As they're coming. Assassination plots against me are one thing, but sabotage. Everybody's just playing up what a what a schemer they are aboard mm-hmm. this ship, and uh, they're getting ready to do some other scheme when the tilt forward ship from the end of last episode shows up on the viewer. It gets gets all tilty on them. It goes on tilt. It blows them to smithereens. And Ben, if you're keeping track. We've got a Klingon ship destroyed, and now a Romulan ship destroyed. What do you think this thing's trying to do? It really sounds like it's trying to set the prelude for war. Yeah, that's what I thought too. After the theme, uh, Shax and Ransom are setting the prelude for greater flexibility. Wow, you're really tight today. They're truly the Beverly and Deanna of the ship, aren't they? Yeah, in a scene... Right out of uh, TNG's The Price. <laughs> the hit TNG episode, The Price. Yeah. Probably the greatest thing that ever happened to us is people cosplaying in this look showing up at our shows, right? Really great. Love it every time. Yeah. It's ridiculous and wonderful. But I, I, I really like, in particular, Shax being in the Beverly costume and Ransom being in the Deanna costume. Just like really... It felt like very apt that they chose those those characters for those costumes. Ransom is so shredded that you can see six pack inside the form fitting stretching <laughs> suit, like inside the lycra. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how shredded he is. Do you think he has like Batman lycra though, where it's like it is form fitted? No, but it's also sculpted. We've seen him with his shirt off. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a lie. I'm just saying he got special lycra to show it off. 
So you're saying it's okay if you have it, but also zhuzh it up? Right, like Batman probably does really have bull nips under the chest plate, you know? And that's yeah. why they put the big nipples on the outside, too. That's right, because those aren't real nips. No. Those are rubber nips. Those are rubber nipples. Yeah. Ransom is right, though. Stretching is crucial to physical health, and uh, they're not getting any younger. Yeah. They're having a chat and, you know, talking talking love life, talking work, and Mariner, like, is is heading into the gym and happens to overhear her name come up out of Ransom's mouth, and Ransom is saying that she is not going to be his problem for long. There's only one way to take that, right? Yeah. One way only. <laughs> so she is pretty bummed out when she heads back to the bunk bed hallway where it's move out day for beta shift. Crazy to think that this could be one of the last times we spend any time in the bunk bed area, right? It is, but that shut down the lights and fade out moment at the end of this scene really feels like they are making the case for that. Like, like say goodbye to bunk bed hallway. Yeah. I promised myself I wouldn't get emotional. Aw, how could you not? Damn. Yeah. You get your own sonic shower when you get your own quarters. It's got to be nice. It sort of dips the episode's hand a little bit when they they make that big show of of dimming the lights because they just established that Rutherford is not moving out of bunk bed hallway. It's like the series finale of Cheers. <laughs> That's how it felt. Yeah, yeah. Except the series finale of Cheers was after like 400 episodes and this is yeah. after 30. <laughs> so Boimler is, is as nostalgic as you'd expect him to be, right? He's yeah. uh, nostalgic for everything, even that little dent in his bunk where he slammed his head so many times. Goodbye, denty. I hit my head on a lot of things, but I don't think my head has ever made a dent anywhere. Does that mean I have a soft head? <laughs> I would never say that to your face, Ben. <laughs> okay, good. I don't think I could take it. Mariner does that thing in this scene that I think we've heard before, right? You can't tell me I'm a shitty officer. I'm going to prove I'm a shitty officer mm -hmm. at you. Yeah, you can't dump me. I'm breaking up with you. You can't fire me. I quit. That's the energy. It's It's got to be hard for Ransom to work with someone who you know is like a confirmed self-saboteur, right? Right. A pattern of ruining group projects and relationships over a series of years and years. <laughs> I mean, who could see it coming? Yeah. So Ransom's got it tough. And yet Ransom has picked Mariner to go on this away mish. It's a menage mish with three people going on it. What's the policy on menage a trois? <laughs> that was not lost on me. And I really thought that this was going to be setting Gary up for a unlikely romantic turn at some point. But You think this is going to be a menage menagerie? <laughs> episode i couldn't help but think that but yeah. but then you know like you get to know gary a bit and he starts shitting himself every time something dangerous happens and you're like yeah i don't know if gary's got it i don't think that ransom and mariner are a great fit either but at least ransom's attractive you know do you think ransom and mariner porn exists in the same way that like 
Simpsons and Family Guy porn exists? Is that out there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have enough Tor browsers on my computer to be willing to search for that. Because you can tell, like, Ransom and Mariner are hot, but Anton Gary is not. Yeah. Anton Gary is me. <laughs> Yeah, Gary can't quite get his mind around the way Mariner is acting when she shows up late for work in her gym clothes and calling Ransom by his first name and shit. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, socially we're equals. Right, Jack? We're leaving now. <laughs> this is a, a shuttle mission and they're going over to a nearby space station that has a menagerie that accidentally added some humans to its collection and they got to go rescue those humans. The insubordinating is happening hot and fast from Jump. <laughs> yeah. At a rate we've rarely ever seen from Mariner. Yeah, really setting a great example for Ensign Gary. Would you look at that? Let's see where Boehm's got moved into, Ben. It's an apartment right across the street from Kenny Rogers Roasters, Adam. It sure is. Can't you shut the shades? <laughs> they are shut. I love the case that this episode makes for depending on where in the saucer your quarters are, you could get <laughs> extremely unlucky W slash R slash T Bassard collector, right? Yeah, it reminded me of our recent episode about STLV where Wendy was talking about staying in that room that was part blue window, part red window. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's bad and disorienting. She's never been the same. Since staying there, have you noticed that? Yeah. No, the editing has gone off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Back on the shuttle to the uh, menagerie station, Mariner parks this thing like Ace Ventura pulling into a parallel parking spot, right? This is great. (laughs) It kind of reminded me of Sulu parking on the Enterprise in uh, Star Trek V. It did. A little bit. Yeah. I wish there'd been a net. And it's great jokes like that that you can hear on the Share Your Embarrassment Tour coming to a city near you, greatestgentour.com. We meet Narj, <laughs> the menagerie station uh, docent, I guess. Are you a docent when you tend to a menagerie or is that just a museum-specific job? I think of docent as volunteer, and I uh, interpreted Narj as having a financial interest in the success of this menage. He clearly does, yeah. Is this a menage a quatre now that there are four people talking? Mm. Hmm. I think so. So, <laughs> yeah, they're talking to Narj, who is a plant man. I thought he was a banana man, but... That's so too. Back away, banana breath. What the hell did you just eat, a banana? But they talk about him like he's a, more of like a tree, you know? He looks like corn to me and not banana. Like, Oh! You get that? Is Narge corn or is Narge banana? I love corn. <laughs> Bill, make a, <laughs> make a poll. <laughs> no one's seen large Narge at the menagerie in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> but that means the large Marge I was riding was, was her ghost. So Gary getting real stressed by Mariner's antics, like season one Boimler stressed, I would say. Yeah. Gary has gone through a lot less character 
development and uh, only the one new pair of pants at this point. Like, why Gary? Just just to ask the question, because Narge is enough of a third during this interaction to, you know, be the audience proxy. Right. And like Gary, up until the end, really doesn't do anything. Other than poop him himself. Right. But, but Narge could do that. Narge can poop. Plants poop, right? How much corn do you think is in Narge's poop? It's probably all corn. Mmm, corn. Oh, man. Do corns poop corn? Do bananas poop corn? <laughs> do... <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> oh, man! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so we meet Moopsy, who... Is sort of a like generic Pokemon cutie character. Moopsie. Yeah. Who's one of the exhibits. You want to catch a Moopsie, don't you? You want to catch a Moopsie. I mean, you got to catch them all, but sure. Moopsie should be high on your list. You know. Moopsie's so cute. It's hard not to take umbrage with Moopsie's imprisonment. And, yeah. and Mariner takes a shine to Moopsie pretty fast here. Yeah. And we see like the the humans that have have been captured here too, and they kind of look bored and like they're arguing with each other in their exhibit. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. But their exhibit looks nice, you know. It looks like Narge went to great lengths to give them an environment that is, you know, somewhat similar to what they've become accustomed to in the outside world. If you're Narge. Do you serve corn as a part of the meals for the humans? Oh, like in the... <laughs> and what would it mean if you did? In the museum cafe, is there a bowl of fruit? And in that fruit bowl, can you buy an individually wrapped banana? Well, if Narge served corn to his prisoners, is that his shit? <laughs> That's pretty good for shit. Or is that <laughs> separate from Narge? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they don't explain enough in this episode. I want to know everything about Narge, and this episode tells me almost nothing. And then they take him off the board! (laughs) So, Rutherford has announced that he is going to get out of this awkward situation, W slash R slash T bunk bed hallway, by getting himself a promotion today. Yeah. Everybody has been pretty skeptical that Rutherford has the capacity to do this. Everyone who hasn't been paying attention to Rutherford for three seasons, though, like, <laughs> I feel like if anyone could do promotion on demand, it's him. Yeah. And he actually has a plan for this. He's talking to Tandy and he's like, yeah, like, I, I figured out a way to, like, get 0.5% less rattle in the warp core and I'm going to go present it to Billups. And he throws this idea at Billups, who... Immediately explains that another guy has come up with a way to get 0.6% less rattle in the warp core. And it's Ensign Livick, who is maybe this season's Jennifer, right? Yeah, or this season's Newman. Yeah. Hello, Newman. (laughs) There's a lot of that. Why does he turn blue when the camera racks in on him? Did you notice that? Rutherford? Livick. Livick turned blue? I thought so. Oh. No? No, I didn't notice that part. Yeah. He seems great, but you know who I really miss a lot? Hmm. 
Jet Manhaver. <laughs> yeah, when having a jet. God, Jet's so fucking cool. He's like the second coolest person on the Cerritos. Does he not also get a pip? I miss Jet. Jet! So we get this bit where, like, that's happening. Meanwhile, we cut up to Boimler's new apartment where he's, like, groping for those sunglasses you use to look at Medusans in his box. And Hell yeah. puts them on right when they crank up the new algorithm in the warp core. And it makes the Kenny Rogers rolling roaster light even brighter. That light! That's just it. Those Bissard collectors don't just stay one brightness. Yeah. They get really hot. They do, and uh, it's searing to Boimler. Yeah. He's seared right out of there. Back on the menagerie station, Moopsie has escaped. And uh, the thing you need to know about Moopsie is that he drinks bones for fuel. Yeah. Most dangerous exhibit in the entire station. Yeah. According to Narge. We see the bone drinking in action, and... It's really not what you think Moopsie would do. <laughs> it is gross as hell. Yeah. Like, if you've ever seen a depiction of the Chupacabra's work, mm-hmm. that's sort of what Moopsie gets up to. Moopsie doesn't look at a thing like the Chupacabra. Nah. But what Moopsie does, does. Yeah. Yeah. The bones are sucked out and also are Moopsie's money. <laughs> In our world, bones equal dollars. And Moopsie begins terrorizing everyone. Yeah. So it's a lot of like running around and pointing fingers and it's terrifying. Unclear if Narge is, is threatened by this, but Narge seems very scared of Moopsie. Does it seem unusual that no one attempts to attack Moopsie? Like Moopsie's small. Yeah. I feel like they could shoot Moopsie, right? They're not allowed to bring weapons. Yeah. We gotta have Weps. He's the key. I understand. Weps is the key. But <laughs> this menagerie ship has a fire extinguisher, right? Oh, yeah. Why, why can't you bonk him with a fire extinguisher? Oh, yeah. You could splatter his shit all over the place. Yeah. Or just like a like hurl an ear of corn at Moopsie and see if that works. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. Or shoot the fire extinguisher at Moopsie in a kind of... Uh, Naked Now episode. Yeah, I like that a lot. Why didn't they do that? No one does it. This is not an approved menagerie station if you don't have PPE (laughs) set up all around the exhibit hall. Eyewash stations. Fire extinguishers. More eyewash stations. (laughs) If you keep a moopsie... In your menagerie, you should have, like, Moopsie PPE, right? What you should have, Adam, is <laughs> you should have skeletons <laughs> hanging behind break glass in case of Moopsie disaster. Great idea. Yeah. You know? It seems obvious now. Like, if there was a human skeleton every 500 feet right next to where they keep the fire extinguisher, and you could just throw a heap of bones at the Moopsie... That Moopsie's not really a threat. It kind of seems like for home defense, I might want a skeleton. Because were anyone to break in or whatever? And you threw a skeleton? 
what would confuse and disorient a a burglar <laughs> or a home invader more than an actual skeleton? Skeleton to pull your hair up, but not out. Ain't nobody got time for that. Whoopsie's gonna go for the low hanging bones every time. It's true. It's it's true. We need to score a lot of black fast. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz.
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember that, you hear? Boimler succeeds in getting reassigned to different quarters, and Shanks helps him with this. And also calls him Baby Bear for some reason. Yeah. Is Boimler also Baby Bear? Does Shaxx call everyone Baby Bear the way a folksy server at a diner calls everyone Han? <laughs> when I was a kid, there was one mom of uh, the kids at my school who would call everyone sports fans. She'd say mm. like, hey, get in the minivan, sports fans. And I'd always correct her and I'd be like, I'm not actually a fan of sports. <laughs> mm. You were that kid in the van? Uh-huh. <laughs> Being pedantic? <laughs> you were pedantic van kid. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. <laughs> so this uh, quarter's also bad, also a reason why it is available, and that is that uh, the bed is right up against a wall that is shared with a holodeck, and specifically a holodeck that Dr. Katz... Her name is Dr. Tana. ...and Shaxx are using for their sexual hijinks. Computer, activate Tana program 35. Uh, how thin are these walls? I mean, Boimler says it himself. Why are there quarters between two holodecks? Right. Because on the other side, it's Captain Freeman's fantasy about being the president of all Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> and then having very violent sex yeah. with the entire Starfleet cabinet. Really just staggering. That, I mean, like, what it is is quarters that are wedged in between two rooms where you can hear about the unrestrained id of all of your <laughs> commanding officers. <laughs> Blamler doesn't have a manipulative bone in his body because if he did, he'd be recording all this for Compromat, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he if he had a, a drop of Romulan blood in him, he'd be like, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he does not. He's not like that kid that they drag in front of the drumhead trial in the TNG. No, not at all. That's more of an Ensign Gary kind of guy. <laughs> so uh, on the station, they, they make it to a room where they're able to slam the door behind them, and uh, the Moopsie is, is out there. 
and not in here with us. And this is when Ransom kind of turns on Mariner and says, like, you freed the Moopsie. You've been acting like an asshole all day. You're being intentionally undermining of the mission and undermining of me as a commanding officer. And I see, I'm seeing right through it. This is your same game over and over again. You're always getting intentionally demoted. And he's not going to fall for it this time. Yeah. This is a really interesting scene because at the end of it, Mariner appears to arrive at some sort of self-actualization here that I think the show and this character wants us to feel is sincere. Like, she actually asks herself why she does these things out loud. Yeah. Why would I do that? I don't know. But I'm sorry to say you still have my unwavering support no matter how hard you make it. I wanted to like this scene so much more than I did. And I think the reason it didn't quite work for me was there really isn't another context in which to hear your boss saying, well, she's not going to be my problem much longer. Like the case that's being made is that he was saying that in terms of like, she's not going to be his problem much longer because he doesn't believe she's going to be a problem much longer. But right the way she interpreted it is the only real way to interpret it, which is he has plans for getting rid of her. And I felt like it was a kind of dumb plot device to get us to this moment. Well, I mean, an eavesdropper is always wrong with the conclusions that they draw from having eavesdropped, though, you know? And that had to be the case here. Yeah. It must be the case. It's writer's law. <laughs> I guess so. She does realize that she's been self-sabotaging, perhaps in a way that is pathological and needless and sort of reasserts her willingness to be a good officer and to help the mission, you know, moments before Narge throws the door open and gets consumed by the moopsie. RSVP Narge. Unfortunately, the room that everyone had taken shelter in is also the main control room <laughs> that they've now enclosed the Moopsie inside. And that's a real problem because uh, Moopsie doesn't know how to drive. Yeah, Moopsie is crawling around on the, on the control panels. <laughs> yeah. Just booping buttons like a cat walking across a piano keyboard. Yeah, this is a problem because Menagerie Station is going to be plummeting toward the atmosphere in short order. Mm -hmm. You would think that a, a starship that pulled up and sent its first officer on a mission to this menagerie station would have some concerns if the menagerie station started plummeting toward the surface of the planet. No one pays it any mind. <laughs> it does not really come up aboard the Cerritos. This is what tractor beams are for. <laughs> Instead, we catch up with Boimler, who has taken refuge in the Jeffries tubes and seems to be living in there full time now. Rutherford comes crawling by and Boimler's like, oh, yeah, whatever you're in here doing, uh, Livick was uh, in here just a minute ago doing before you. You got Livicked again. Livick, leave some minor improvements for the rest of us, guy. I love how this scene forces an interaction between the B and the C story. I can't think of another example of this in Star Trek. Like usually the A, the B and the C stories are like, they only exist in their own strata. 
Mm-hmm. But this was a great moment because this story of Boimler trying to find good quarters and the story of Rutherford trying his darndest to to get a promotion actually cross here, and it's great. And it's pretty casual. It's like, how's it going over there in the B story? Nice. Uh, C story going well for you? It's going all right. Could be going better. It doesn't feel forced. Like, this interaction <laughs> is natural. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, because nobody on the Cerritos is helping them, and because Baron and Ransom can't rely on Gary to help at all either, they come up with a plan to throw the Moopsie off and lead it back into captivity so that they can fix the station. And that is going to involve Ransom's teeth being used as sort of a trail of breadcrumbs. And uh, he asks Mariner to punch him in the face. And then he has to like order her to punch him in the face so that they can start knocking those toofies out. You remember when Mariner repeatedly kicks Ransom in the balls in that one episode where Ransom becomes God? Uh-huh. This moment really made me think of that. <laughs> like the quality of Mariner kicking the shit out of Ransom for mission reasons <laughs> is big fun to me. Yeah. Come on, as hard as you can. <laughs> the greatest time has yet to come. In engineering, Rutherford explains to Tendi his latest scheme for making a very, very minor improvement to some system on the ship and is thinking that that will be the thing that finally earns him a promotion. And he is presenting this to Billups when Billups says, yeah, cool, sounds great, but we got to go give Livick this half pip, so uh, save it for later. This is when we get the big scene between Rutherford and Tendi, where it turns out that Rutherford could have gotten promoted a long time ago, but he didn't want it to mess up his friendship with Tendi. So he he never accepted the promotion, which really makes Tendi seem like a giant asshole. <laughs> I guess, but I think it also brings into sharp focus the idea that, like, unfortunately, being really good at your job isn't enough a lot of times because you are made to ask for the things that you deserve from a management structure that is often oblivious yeah. Or unable to recognize what you deserve. So this like epiphany where Rutherford is like, hey, I did a bunch of shit that is promotion worthy. <laughs> Can you like grandfather me into that pip? Yeah. It works here. It works because it should have worked before. Wait, I can just ask for stuff I deserve? I guess. It's a good lesson. A lesson that I could learn myself. Like, for example, just today we were having a production meeting and I was like, hey, would it be okay if I don't bring my microphone and recording device on my family vacation that I've had planned for a little while? <laughs> and you and Wendy were like, oh, yeah. And Wendy was like, how about no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wendy's the boss around here. <laughs> it's so weird that we have all these meetings with Wendy and she always has a stock photo as the image on the video calls. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just clearly a soundboard of, uh-huh. of how about no's. Yeah. It's like a, a single button soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking for schedule changes. How about no? How about, how about, how about no? Wendy has the upper hand now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's been turning down promotions and obviously deserves them way more than Livick, who's brand new and has only done a few promotion worthy feats of engineering. So uh, 
this half pip gets flicked across the room. Tendy snatches it out of the air and pins it on Rutherford before he can really complain too much. Hey, Ben, when you're a Starfleet mm-hmm. and maybe you're of a lower rank of the person you're messing around with, mm-hmm. do you think that that's called flicking pip? <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. That's prob- probably what that's called. Okay. But uh, it seems like uh, Rutherford has really made an enemy of Livick in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Is he going to be arced here the way Jennifer was? Yeah, it's a, it does seem like Livick may, may be getting written in as some kind of lightly antagonistic character. But but he's an ensign. He's like, he can't do shit. They're fucking Lieutenant Junior Grades's. This is a show that has made it clear that maybe at some point down the road, Livick and Rutherford will be making candles together (laughs) in some sort of off-duty party, right? Where everyone's wearing jammers? Yeah, maybe. could see that. We don't know how Rutherford swings, right? No. Has Rutherford ever had a lady friend? A lady friend? I don't know. Or a romantic interest of any gender? Yeah, she was smart and pretty and, ooh, highly effective in a shipwide crisis. Does he love Tendi or does he love Tendi? That sort of crossed my mind in this moment because there was a lot of hugginess between them in this episode. Does Tendi love Rutherford or does she love Rutherford? I mean, she's an Orion. They have sort of a reputation for being oversexed. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that an ugly stereotype that I need to deconstruct? Leave that in, Wendy. Leave it in. So uh, over on the station, we get Moopsy back into its hole. Or using the trail of teeth. <laughs> the trail of teeth. That they knocked from Ransom's head. That Moopsy lived right next to the zoo humans, or zoomans, as I like to call them. I love that having watched this episode a couple of times, you see the upside down umbrella panel in the in the very first scene that we see these humans. Yeah, and it's called back in this scene to reveal what they had done with the rewiring of the Moopsy exhibit. Yeah, the umbrella panel had been removed, and they. Did something to free the Moopsie for the money. They wanted to they wanted to get Narge and the rest of the Starfleets eaten so that they could run this station themselves and collect all the filthy lucre from all the gawking aliens that wanted to come look at the various weird animals that they have there in this menage. Does Narge not know what an umbrella looks like? I mean Narge is dead, baby. But I mean, like earlier on when he was alive, he saw that panel. Yeah. He paid it no mind. Well, as a plant, what use could he possibly have for an umbrella? You're not going to want to use an umbrella to shield yourself from the sun or the rain. Yeah, you want both because photosynthesis. Yeah. And also a vegetable's need for water. Yeah, yeah. So whether he's a corn or a banana, (laughs) Narge has no use for an umbrella. That's true. In maybe the most incomprehensible statement we've ever uttered on this show. (laughs) So the day is saved. The station is not going to crash into the planet. We get a little Mariner's log explaining that uh, they left those asshole humans in their captivity and uh, somebody else will have to come along and rescue them. 
because fuck those guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're out of the episode with a couple of buttons. I felt like this, I don't want to give my my rating away, but this overall fairly mid episode of Lower Decks, really worth it to me for the big teeth ransom scene. Let me ask you a question about that. Do you think, and I'm going to demonstrate Jerry O'Connell did his lines with a big mouth, <laughs> and and could you hear it? I think he must have done them with a big mouth, or maybe he even put big teeth in his mouth, or maybe he put in that orthodontic device that holds your lips open, <laughs> like this. <laughs> I, I thought that this was such a funny tweak on the character, and I will be delighted if they stick with it for future episodes. Yeah. We need Big Mouth Ransom here, for sure. Yeah. We also get the scene where Rutherford and Boimler are going to be roommates, and uh, it turns out that Boimler could have just dimmed the blinds in his room the entire time, and now he has a roommate instead of a private suite to himself. I think the way the Cerritos is made lends itself to a lot of bad apartments, Right? Yeah. Because the dish of the saucer looks really flat. It looks like you're looking straight down. Lots of rooms with skylights. Very few rooms with, with side windows. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We get an ending here without any foreshadowing to any other future episode or story here. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The ship that tilts, we got out, out of the way right at the beginning. But did your comments throughout this episode foreshadow... A bad review, Ben. Did you like this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks? There were good jokes in this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, but I thought that the story was a little thin and ill-conceived. And oh, how, how dare you? I just, I don't know. I didn't think the setup of the Mariner overhearing Ransom really worked that well. I thought it was really dumb that the ship didn't care about the station crashing into the planet at all. That was a pretty big hole. Yeah, like those two things just felt like usually a Lower Decks episode works by having a really great Star Trek plot with very funny jokes hanging off of it. And this one felt like it had the jokes, but a pretty whack plot overall. And so, yeah, it just didn't, it didn't quite hit for me. But yeah, like the reveal of Big Teeth Ransom at the end, like I was laughing my ass off at that. And then I watched the episode twice and I laughed really hard the second time too. Like it was funny to me both times. It wasn't just the surprise of it. Yeah. And so like, I'm, you know, I'm not turning on Lower Decks. I just didn't think this was its best work. As I said, I watched this episode a couple of times. I was surprised that the menagerie did not delight in repeat viewings like i kept looking for bar trivia creatures right in the menagerie you wanted to see lulu lulu in there lulu lulu yeah that was the part that i thought was thin lower decks does star trek trivia so well it was unusual to find so little of it in this episode but i'll contend that there are no bad lower decks episodes there are just bad reviewers Mm. And uh, <laughs> I have love for all Lower Decks episodes. I think it's uh, among the best of the new Star Trek. And I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Well, I'm glad you did, Adam. I liked seeing Ransom's face beat the shit out of. Like, 
I think I mentioned this during the episode where Ransom turns into a giant head that eats starships. There's an <laughs> angle they take in the animation where he's like three-quarter profile. And yeah. when he gets uppercutted by Mariner, they do that angle again. <laughs> and I feel like the folks at Titmouse know what I'm talking about when I describe that angle. Like, yeah. it is a very unique character angle for him, and I love that action. So yeah. keep it up. Fun stuff. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there's anything in the Priority One inbox for today's episode? Yeah, I'm going to head over there and see uh, what angle this message takes with us. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. And we got a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. That's it! Sent this to give you guys some scarves on the company dime. Love you guys and everything you do. I did the $200 promotional, and here, please have Ben and Adam go into the DMX rant. Buy some goddamn cheesecake! When you next do Factory Seconds at the Cheesecake Factory. For fuck's sake, just share an appetizer and get some cheesecake. Anyhow, $200 I had to pay for a slice, right? Love you guys. Here's the thing, Derek. It's not about... The appetite with the cheesecake. We just run out of time also. Yeah. Sometimes it takes us a long time and, you know, preparing for our signature segment, getting to the factory. Yeah. And then, you know, getting home from the factory, which really should be its own segment. God, I know. And it might be a better segment than the part of the show where we would review the slices of cheesecake that we could get if only we had the time. Yeah. Or the appetite. I think next time we go to the Cheesecake Factory, we will for sure sample the cheesecake. I don't think there's any question that's going to happen. Yeah. And then the call to action is send your Scofla FODs to us in Western Washington. What's that about? I don't know. Do people in Western Washington not follow the law? <laughs> well, I expect to find out more <laughs> at our tour stop in, in Seattle. I guess so, yeah. We're going to be there November 7th at the Neptune. Can't wait. See you there, Derek. Yeah. The rest of you scofla FODs. Thanks for your filthy money. We'll spend it at the Cheesecake Factory. Ben, our second priority one message is from Matthew. It is to Emily. The message goes like this. I picked an awkward time to take a hiatus from watching Picard, colon, the final season with the accompanying podcast, this podcast. You made good on your frequent threat. Wouldn't it be funny if I proposed to you on a P1? <laughs> oh, man. Now that my romantic aspirations have been shot out of an airlock, my answer is yes. Whoa. <laughs> Hope my forgiveness dimple is deep enough. I love you. Yay. He said yes. He said yes. Man. We've been waiting so long to find out what was going on with that. Even Darwin's excited. Do you take this dimple to be your dimple? (laughs) To have and to hold and to look at? Maybe pour a little bit of a beverage into and take a body shot out of? Oh, yeah. Dimple shots. Dimple shots for Matthew (laughs) and Emily. Amazing. Amazing. Hey, congrats, you two. Love it. Matthew, 
never don't listen to our show ever again. That's a huge mistake by you. Yeah, and because the both of you do very, very important relationship communications via P1, Yeah, <laughs> that's more true than it's ever been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. You're going to like find out that you're having a kid in the third trimester because you took a break from our show. Please keep doing this. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Well, if you'd like to uh, send a very belated yes to a very special someone, you do it by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Gary. Just there to poop his pants, you know? That's all he's there to do. Gary's there for pants mess and humor, and uh, I'm here for it. I like Gary. I like how generic Gary is. Gary kind of felt to me like he was there to remind us how generic Boimler was at the beginning. And I like the pressure cooker of comedy that has made Boimler into a real character. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. How about you? Do you have an Edward Larkin? I think my Edward Larkin is going to be Narge, who is uh, hoisted on to his own moopsie here. (laughs) With a little help from the humans he gathered accidentally in his menagerie. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, kind of his fault. You shouldn't put humans in in a menagerie exhibit that they can easily just pull the panels off of and reprogram shit. Yeah, that would be bad. Got to keep it tighter than that, Narj. (laughs) And uh, as a result, he got pops, didn't he? Truly. Big time. Truly. He got his cob sucked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He got peeled like a banana, didn't he? Bad job by him. Bad job by whatever that monstrosity was. Yeah, I used to play uh, Uno with a guy named Fred Banana. I'm really glad you went back for that. (laughs) It's like, we do not have enough pod gas to get to the end of the show. You really want to turn around? (laughs) (laughs) Always worth it. Yeah, it's worth it every time. Adam, we always like to end episodes of Greatest Trek. A little bit of a warning. A warning, boy, which is what we call... The messages people leave on the internet or in the Apple podcast reviews, letting people know that they will like this show if they are the kind of person that likes this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and that they will not like this show if they don't like that kind of humor. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Our warning buoy today is from Mastodon. It's from Sean Gill at mastodon.social who posted, being already a little bit embarrassed to listen to a hashtag Star Trek podcast, I was somewhat mortified when my neighbor came over to let me know that, quote, some sci-fi talk show, unquote, had been playing on my patio speakers all morning. Oops. And then uh, they tagged at greatest Trek at friends of social in that post. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love a whoops, my Bluetooth connected to the wrong thing gag like that. Gotta watch out for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. 
might accidentally propose to somebody and not hear back from them for a long time. What's worse? <laughs> I honestly can't decide. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Sean. And uh, thanks to everyone who posts about the show online or leaves a nice review in their podcatcher of choice. We really appreciate it. Helps us rise through the algorithmic ranks. And, uh, you know, it doesn't cost you a damn thing. Sure doesn't. And uh, it does quite a bit of good for us. So thanks. So with that, we're going to leave the show in Wendy's capable hands. I always stay in my seat during the credits, Ben. Well, you are a very good boy, Adam. <laughs> Eating my large bucket of narge. <laughs> yeah. Your large bucket of nard with a hole poked in the bottom. My large bucket of nard shit. <laughs> That's canon. <laughs> so he shits like dried corn <laughs> that's been popped? It'd be like you or me shitting little usses, right? Yeah, little popped usses. Yeah. I don't think we would be as delicious if we were popped. I'm using an us popper on my mic. <laughs> Why it sounds so good. Oh, yeah. Wendy just has to use filters and post on mine. Uh-huh. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. On Friday of this week, Ben and Adam will be back with a recap of Season 4, Episode 3, In the Cradle of Vexalon. Boimler leads his first away mission on an alien megastructure. Greatest Trek is an audience-supported podcast, which means that it's made possible by MaxFund members who support the show on a monthly basis. You can join them at MaximumFun.org slash join, and we really appreciate everyone who does that. Thank you to Adam Ragusia. He composed all of the original music for this show. You can check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thank you to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art. And thank you to Bill Tilly for managing all of the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, threads, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to connect with other friends of DeSoto online. Thanks for listening. I'll see you later this week on Greatest Trek. All right, bye. <laughs> Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.